You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hello and welcome to the U.S.-China Trade War Podcast. I am Finbar Birmingham on the Political Economy Desk here at the South China Morning Post. It is Friday in a week in Hong Kong that has been defined by storms, political, meteorological or otherwise. Typhoon Higos blew through town this week, but officials seem to be more concerned by Hurricane Trump. Last week, we told you that the U.S. president ruled that goods made in Hong Kong would have to be relabeled as made in China. China if they're exported to America. That has touched a nerve within Carrie Lam's government, which confirmed to us this week that it's readying a case at the World Trade Organization in Geneva. This is huge. This is historic. Hong Kong has only ever done this once before when it registered a case against Turkey in 1996 over garment import quotas. But that was wee buns in comparison to this one. This is much bigger, but will it do more harm than good? That's a debate that's going on in Hong Kong today, and you're going to hear all about it from WTO whiz and trade law professor Brian Mercurio in the second half of the show. In part one, I will be joined by our political economy editors, Joe Shin and John Carter, as well as Denise Tsang, our Hong Kong editor, to discuss Trump's cancellation of three bilateral treaties with Hong Kong this week, as well as the launch of a bill in the United States that would see government officials and documents banned from referring to Xi Jinping as China's president. It just goes to show how far things have fallen. And of course, there's trade talks. The on-off six-monthly review of China's commitment under the phase one trade deal appears to be on again. We will get the lowdown on what's going on there and why it matters from our editors. Lots to discuss. Let's get on with the show. Delighted to be joined today by Denise Tsang, our Hong Kong news editor, Joe Shin and John Carter, our political economy editors in what has been another busy week in the US-China-Hong Kong dynamic. We're going to start off talking about the US-China trade talks, which were scheduled, well, which were planned reportedly for last week. This was a six-monthly review of the Phase One trade deal and China's progress towards meeting this, but the meeting didn't happen. There have been various reports about why that happened, why it didn't happen, and there are also conflicting reports this morning on Friday as to whether it will happen in the coming days. Um, John Carter, we had Guy Fung in the Ministry of Commerce in uh, Beijing yesterday suggest that this may happen over the coming days. What's the general sense of what's going on here? Well, Trump himself said earlier uh, uh, this week that he cancelled the talks because he uh, doesn't want to talk to China right now. But now the White House people, according to the Wall Street Journal this morning, are starting to walk that back, saying that he wasn't talking about the phase one deal in particular. And so, yes, there will be new talks in coming days Um, when when these talks will take place is still not clear. The initial reason given for the uh, postponer or cancellation of talks was the um, the summer meeting of uh, Chinese top officials in Haida, um, the beach resort um, east of Beijing. But then Trump himself came out a few days later saying, no, I did it. Um, so we don't exactly know what happened. 
but what we do know is that they still want to go ahead with the talks. And uh, we've seen uh, China pick up its purchases of U.S. energy goods in recent days. In fact, the uh, purchases of energy products uh, scheduled uh, to ship in the month of September are will be a record amount. And so China is doing more to fulfill the terms of the phase one trade deal, uh, but they are still well behind the pace to meet uh, the purchase targets that are in that deal. Absolutely. Um, Jushin, the interesting thing I've uh, noticed since the whether well, we think that the Beidaiha meeting went ahead, although there has been some speculation that it didn't. But regardless, there has been a little bit of a toning down in the rhetoric um, over the last week or two. Something perhaps you've picked up on. Maybe the Chinese spokespeople aren't being so aggressive in their re- references to the United States. What's going on there? Oh, yes, Fingba, that's very interesting because uh, I think there's uh, behind the doors uh, of Beijing in these closed door discussions, uh, whether it's in Beijing or it's in Beidaihe, I think a new consensus is gradually emerging that for now, uh, the priority for China is not engaging at it for tat uh, against the uh, uh, United States, you know, to respond strongly to every move that uh, Washington uh, makes. Instead, of, uh, in- instead you know, the priority for Beijing now is to manage the confrontation uh, or you know to avoid the whole bilateral relationship from collapsing uh, very quickly. So that's uh, that's uh, that's kind of the top priority now. Instead of uh, um, hitting back at the United States, that's why we see in terms of rhetoric, you know, uh, the official media has toned down uh, a little bit of its uh, wording against the United States, and also in terms of actions, uh, Beijing has actually been quite cautious and restrained. And uh, one. Uh, Talking is very interesting. Is that uh, China know that you know the, the Washington will be very crazy in the next uh, uh, couple of weeks, uh, in the next three months before the election. So uh, China's uh, uh, you know the most uh, reasonable response is just uh, to wait in the sea for the next three months and to see if mm-hmm. Biden is going to be next president. Maybe he will be a little bit more flexible, or his team would be a little bit more uh, reasonable and also more willing to talk to Beijing. And that's, uh, I think, that's uh, that's a new strategy from Chinese government now. Yeah. Uh, Interesting point there, Joshin, like they've decided not to try and keep up tit for tat, because if they did, then they'd be very busy. Um, There's a lot of stuff going on at the moment, and Hong Kong is getting pulled further and further into this every week. Um, Denise Tsang, we've seen this week a number of things. The main, perhaps one, is the cancellation of three bilateral treaties that the United States had with with Hong Kong. Denise, tell us a little bit about these three treaties and whether this is is as big a deal as people are worried about. Yes, the three agreements at its thick is the um, agreement on the surrender of fugitives, the transfer of sentence persons agreement, and agreement concerning the tax exemptions from income derived from the operations of shipping companies in both jurisdictions. So overall, these three things are bilaterally um, agree between the U.S. and Hong Kong. And the government, Hong Kong government, has been saying uh, this is affecting the U.S. more than Hong Kong because, for example, on the uh, transfer of uh, fugitives, since 98, when the uh, transfer of fugitive agreement took effect, there were 69 people that Hong Kong sent back to the U.S., but on the other way round, there were only 23. So in effect, um, so the government was saying this has affected the U.S. more. 
Um, well, in terms of shipping companies, uh, that means the U.S. companies will have to pay double taxation. Four uh, percent of the gross income they earned in the U.S. shore, and also 16.5 percent profit tax they earned in Hong Kong. So. At the end of the day, it's not a win-win situation. It is a lose-lose situation. This mm-hmm. is what the uh, stakeholders were saying. Uh, we just woke up to the news today in Hong Kong that uh, a very interesting bill has been lodged uh, in the US called the Name the Enemy Act. Um, this is a bill that would stop any US government documents or officials from referring to Xi Jinping as China's president. Instead, he would have to be referred to as the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, John, Josin, Denise, this seems to sort of spiraled out of control slightly. This is a little bit of a left field uh, piece of legislation. What's your initial thoughts on this? Well, I don't think it has legs, first of all. I think it's just a, a sign of the times. It's an emotional thing. Um, uh, yeah, I would be very surprised if it ever passed Congress. Uh, having said that, the fact it's introduced is an indication of the sentiment in Washington, which is uh, very anti-China at the moment. Joe Shen, how will this be greeted in, in Beijing? Yes, uh, that's a very interesting thing, Mark, because the uh, general secretary is more of uh, uh, the most commonly used title for Xi in domestic China. Because if, if, if you're a Communist Party member, you address uh, Xi as general secretary. And also, of course, in most of the uh, uh, domestic occasions, the first title to address uh, Xi is always the General Secretary of the Chinese Communist Party. And in official uh, kind of capacity and then in, in, in kind of like uh, in international occasions and uh, the Chinese for Xi is the chairman of the People's Republic of China, right, as the head of the state. So the president is really uh, never, in Chinese sentences, uh, you know, uh, Zong Tong is never appeared in uh, China. It's always chairman or general secretary. So it's uh, it's very uh, interesting that, but for this time, the United States was trying to make this title kind of like an uh, you know an allegation saying saying you know the Communist Party's legitimacy is not uh, is not right there or, or or have these kind of implications. But this in Chinese context, it's absolutely uh, you know the the, the opposite. You know, the addressing Xi as a general secretary or the chair, chairman does not have any. Uh, implications about legitimacy, just to the you know call 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 the spade a spade. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, moving quickly back to to um, Hong Kong for a moment, um, Denise uh, and I have both been working on stories over the past couple of weeks about the the move from the United States to have goods that are made in Hong Kong. There aren't that many these days, but nonetheless, goods that are made in Hong Kong to be relabeled made in China. This, Denise, seems to have really touched a nerve in the Hong Kong government, um, which, despite everything over the past year or 18 months, has really been determined to hold on to its status as a bastion of free trade. And it has been broadcasting this very loudly. But um, it's now considering bringing the US to the WTO, which would be only the second time in 24 years it's done this. Um Denise, are you surprised by how much this has has really resonated within the Hong Kong government? Well, I understand why the government is so agitated about these actions by the U.S., because um, 
The WTO gives Hong Kong a special status under the one country, two systems principle. That is a separate customs territory. So that means whatever tariffs that apply to China won't be automatically applied to Hong Kong. And right now, Donald Trump, the U.S. president, broke all these laws according to the Hong Kong government. And and the government called, called this uh, behavior as hypocrisy. So um, the U.S., just broke the law of the WTO. And that's why Hong Kong is so adamant in um, bringing the country to the WTO for arbitration. But so far, um, we've seen um, the US has been ignoring the U- uh, the Hong Kong government uh, 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 <clears throat> views. Yeah. Yeah, I reached out to the Economic and Trade Office in Washington and they sent me a sort of boilerplate statement, but no no detail as to what they're actually discussing with the United States government, although they did say that there are ongoing relations, which is encouraging, I suppose. Joshin, can I quickly ask you about this? Um, how much of a hand in, in, in this would do you think go to Beijing? Um, I would imagine um, that Beijing would feel quite strongly or at least have input as to whether Hong Kong could bring a case to the WTO because there would be the inst- the, the, the chance that a lot of the dirty laundry in, or maybe it would be aired in public. How much of a forensic examination of the Hong Kong-Beijing relationship does Beijing really want to have pe- play out in public? Well, uh, for now, uh, as, as you said, Fimba, I think that uh, both Chinese government and the Chinese media has been quite uh, uh, muted over this issue. And I think uh, that's uh, already tells a lot of things. I think Beijing has no uh, willingness to bring the whole relationship with the public and, uh, as you said, to discuss all the, uh, the expose all the dirty laundries. To, to the editors on the podcast today, what are you looking out for over the coming seven days that our listeners maybe should keep an eye on? Well, um, look to the United States. I mean, uh, Joe Biden will um, be giving his acceptance speech of the Democratic nomination within the hour. Um, and then it, it moves over to the Republicans to uh, counter um, and developments in the U.S. election campaign uh, vis-a-vis China will be the primary focus in the next, well, for the next uh, 73 days, 72 days. Yeah. So that's what we'll be watching. And of course, uh, the, the trade talks, as China said, is in coming days. So uh, if, uh, you know, it's everything is on schedule, then we have to see some short statements from both China and the United States about their latest trade talks to see if the mood is still there. Mm-hmm. And next Wednesday, Hong Kong is due to reveal the uh, trade figures for July. So we all we know how the um, how Hong Kong will start uh, its second half in trade uh, situation. Great stuff. We will look out for all of that news. Joe Shin, John Carter, Denise Tang, thank you so much for joining us. If you're a regular visitor to the South China Morning Post's website at scmp.com, you may have seen some changes we've brought in. Along with other media outlets around the world, we've had to adapt our business model to deal with a changing environment. You'll no doubt notice that you now get access to the first few articles for free, and then you're asked to subscribe. This doesn't change your access to podcasts, but subscribing does help us continue to bring you high quality journalism 24 hours a day from across China and around the world.
Coming up now, you're going to hear more detail on the debate going on about Hong Kong's potential WTO challenge over the relabeling as Made in China affair. Brian Mercurio is a professor at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. He is an expert in this sort of thing, and he will be able to break it down in much more detail. Delighted to be joined today by Brian Mercurio, who is the Simon F. S. Lee Professor at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Brian is an expert in all things trade and the World Trade Organization. I speak to him very regularly for stories on the topic, and we're delighted that he's on the show today to talk about a very topical issue, which is the Made in China labelling case. Um, The Hong Kong government has threatened quite ferociously, really, to bring the United States to the World Trade Organization to fight this suit. Brian, this is something obviously that's been brewing for a few weeks, but have you been surprised by the rising aggression in the Hong Kong government's statements on this? And what does that tell you? Yes, thank you, uh, Finbar. I'm delighted to be here. So thanks for for having me. I'm a little surprised at the, the tone of the Hong Kong government's statements. And what it really tells me is that they're serious in bringing this case. Um, at first, we, we looked at this potential claim, maybe with some skepticism, that Hong Kong would actually follow through. Hong Kong has never really brought a case. It has filed one, but didn't pursue it. Um, so I think we, we did look with, uh, as I say, a bit of skepticism that Hong Kong would, would actually take this to the WTO. But now it, it, it looks, looks, looks very clear that, uh, that Hong Kong is serious in pursuing this claim. Yeah. Really briefly, what grounds would there be at the World Trade Organization for suing China? Uh, the you know, I keep saying China. We're going to have to. Go. <laughs> what grounds would there be at the at the World Trade Organization for Hong Kong suing the United States? And for those who aren't familiar with this, essentially, the U.S. Um, last week ordered that any goods made in Hong Kong as of 25th of September, now have to be relabeled or labelled as made in China. Um, So there aren't that many things made in Hong Kong these days, so it does seem very much a symbolic move rather than a huge commercial um, threat. And I've actually struggled to speak to too many exporters who will be affected. But, But Brian, nonetheless, what are the actual legal grounds for a case here? Sure, we can get to some of the the potential um, uh, harmed uh, exporters later, Um, but there's certainly a claim to be made. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's an open and shut case or an easy victory uh, for Hong Kong. I'll I'll try to... uh, to <laughs> to uh, make this not so technical, I think um, you know your listeners don't really want a, a lesson in trade law. But just to say that um, the claims could be made under a variety of reasons uh, of, of agreements. I mean, most obviously is the GATT, which is the Trade in Goods Agreement. But also there's other agreements such as the technical barriers to trade and even the the agreement on rules of origin. Now, the most obvious claim or potential inconsistency would have been if the U.S. had applied the China-specific tariffs to Hong Kong, as they initially indicated they would. This would have violated what we call Article 2, as it would have exceeded uh, the U.S.'s maximum tariff rate that it can charge to other WTO members. Mm -hmm. But now that the U.S. has said that, in fact, it's not going to charge this additional tariff to Hong Kong, and that it will only require the change in labeling, that really takes that obvious inconsistency off the table, right? That's no longer in play. And so really we're left with um, 
with 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 two good claims, I think. The one is what we call most favored nation, and that is that uh, a country must treat all other members uh, this in the same manner. So they must be treated like each other. And this applies not only to customs, duties, and charges, but also to, to all rules and formalities in connection with the importation or exportation of goods. So mm-hmm. the claim here would be that by requiring the labeling to be China, it's treating Hong Kong differently than other WTO members who could, of course, use their own jurisdiction, or is that country, um, in their labels. The other claim, which I think is fairly strong, is, is, is what we call Article 9. It's never been actually raised before. Um, well, Articles, uh, subparagraphs 1 and 2 of, of Article 9 never been claimed at the WTO before in any dispute. And it's that marking requirements must provide uh, no less favorable treatment, again, mm-hmm. to any other uh, member. And also this little-known provision that says in adopting and enforcing such regulations, due regard must be had to the necessity of protecting consumers against fraudulent or misleading indications. And so the two issues are raised there. The first is, is this less favorable? And if so, how? Hong Kong exporters seem to be pointing to the potential damage to the qu- their quality and reputation of their goods that they say using the China label uh, will will bring them. I think that's a point we need to return to later. Um, and the second claim, uh, the Hong Kong government in, in its press releases is already stating that this measure will cause confusion. So I think they're trying to lay the groundwork for yeah. that Article 9.2 subparagraph. There's a, there's other measures which, which look to whether uh, the U.S. or other provisions which look to whether the U.S. measure modifies conditions of competition or creates unnecessary obstacles to trade. Really, that comes back to the same point as the no less favorable treatment. Yeah. yeah. Does the label harm Hong Kong exporters? Yeah. I think to conclude, though, it's important to understand Hong Kong does not have to demonstrate damage or adverse effects in order to prevail. It, it merely needs to say, needs to prove it didn't receive an advantage that others have received or it's being treated less favorably, uh, or that an, or that conditions have been modified to its detriment. Right. One point on what you've just said there, and this is something that really strikes me, is why would the Hong Kong government um, th- think that being made labeled made in China is damaging? You know that that that's because you know the Hong Kong government is. Um, this is the line of uh, pursuit that it seems to be going down by labeling our goods made in China. This is damaging the reputation of our economy of the goods that are made here. That to me seems quite an interesting stance um, from a government very close to to Beijing. What's your read on that? Well, I think that um, it's it's really interesting. And this is going to put uh, the Hong Kong government and the lawyers in in a predicament um, because if, if Hong Kong does prevail, actually damages will need to be calculated in order for Hong Kong to retaliate should, should it prevail and the U.S. not remove the measure. Likewise, as I just pointed out, um, it seems the track that Hong Kong is going down is this reputation argument, which means it will come up in the claim itself. So is there harm? I mean, um, it, it, would Hong Kong really make the argument that it's, that it's being harmed by using the China label? Um, <laughs> And the second point there is, is it even true? I mean, China's reputation, if it does have a poor reputation for quality, it hasn't stopped it from becoming the number one exporter in the world. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I even wonder, I wonder if Hong Kong will make that claim, mm-hmm. given its close ties and 
as the as every press release tells us, it's an inalienable part of of China. And the second yeah. part is, is it even a winning argument? Um, because, you know, China has thrived, if you want to say, despite its reputation. Um, you know, you did mention uh, Hong Kong's uh, minuscule exports. I looked them up to the to the US. Um, it's around $500 million a year in exports uh, that are actually Hong Kong uh, goods as opposed to re-exports mainly coming from China. I mean, for perspective, China exports around $1.3 billion worth of goods per day to the U.S., right? <laughs> uh, right. right? And, and, and the U.S. sends $30 billion worth of goods annually um, to Hong Kong. Um, so it is a really small amount of trade that we're talking here. Yeah, um, we want. I want to ask you, Brian, about um, some of the, the the maybe arguments against bringing this case. I mean, I've been writing about this and speaking to a lot of people over the last week or two. Um, a lot of people think, right, you need to stand up to the US because if you don't draw a line in the sand now, then or, or you know, if you don't punch a bully in the face, then they're going to keep coming back for more, right? So if you don't stand up to Trump now, he's just going to come back with another thing and maybe some other trading partners will also think, well, maybe we'll do this as well. So that there's a real strong lobby in the city to you know, lay down a marker. But there's also arguments against, against this, um, one being that how much of your uh, relationship with uh, Beijing does the Hong Kong government want to lay out in the open? Where do you stand in this debate? I would exercise caution if, if I were in the Hong Kong government now or advising them. Um, I think a, the case has a reasonable chance of success. Um, that being said, um, there are potential cases uh, that could be brought on a daily basis uh, to the WTO. Governments do not run and litigate uh, at first instance. Um, and sometimes they, they allow um, inconsistencies to remain. And the reason is, of course, the law is not everything that, that, that matters. Even economics is not the only thing that, that matters. Um, political calculations do have to be taken into account. Um, so I think there are a number of reasons why Hong Kong should exercise uh, caution, some political, some economic. I mean, it may win, but if we look, you know, as I said, the, the damages are going to be very small and difficult to quantify. Um, so the case is really going to be on principle. And mm -hmm. sometimes governments do want to bring cases on principle. Um instead of, as opposed to economics. Uh, but that being said, if you bring a case on principle, what are the potential consequences? As you mentioned, uh, this will expose the unique relationship with China uh, that Hong Kong has with China. And I think the US will take the opportunity to, um, to exploit and further investigate how much control Beijing actually does have on, on Hong Kong. Um, you know, this is the dirty laundry that perhaps uh, Hong Kong and China won't want exposed. Um, the U.S. may not comply, right? As, as I said, if the U.S. doesn't comply, then what? Um, well, does does Hong Kong pursue damages, what we call retaliatory measures? And that, that essentially means Hong Kong will be able to lift tariffs, to raise tariffs on U.S. exports to Hong Kong. Now, at that point, who is that going to hurt? It's obviously going to hurt Hong Kong consumers. You know, the Hong Kong market is very small for U.S. exporters. 
um, by applying retaliatory measures, Hong Kong is is not going to damage the U.S. at all, mm-hmm. right? There's no economic weight there to force uh, compliance, um, but it will raise prices uh, for Hong Kong consumers. Um, and if Hong Kong chooses not to uh, actually impose the retaliatory measures, they win a case, uh, but don't do anything, that may actually put Hong Kong in a worse position than, in fact, not having not brought the case in the first place. Um, I do understand the point that, you know, you can't let others uh, simply um, ride over you mm. and that a stand must be taken. And I think we've seen that with uh, President Trump in the U.S., that, um, you know, you, you give an inch and, and, and he will want a mile later on. Um, and, and so there is a, a, a risk of that. Um, but um, but I think, uh, again, I would exercise caution because, um, you know, it, at worst case, in fact, the U.S. could 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 seek to uh, could escalate and retaliate, retaliate with further measures, maybe hit finance or the shipping industry. Um, and, and certainly the worst case would be the U.S. could push to, to isolate Hong Kong and seek its withdrawal from from the WTO. Totally. Um, don't kick the hornet's nest is what Michael Cartland told me this week. He's the guy who was the head of the Hong Kong delegation to the GATT in 1986 when it became a, a member in its own right. So, look, it's a fascinating debate. Um, we're going to keep following it. And I think we will see more on this over the coming weeks and we'll speak again. Um, but for now, Brian, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Great. Thanks for having me, Finbar. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. I've been Finbar Birmingham from our political economy desk here at the South China Morning Post. Please take a moment to like, share and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. And you can keep up to date with all of the latest news about the issues discussed in this week's show at scmp.com. We didn't even have time this week to talk about one of the massive issues of the day. Huawei has been banned further from accessing US goods. That is massive. But luckily, we have another podcast which does a deep dive on that. Check out the Inside China podcast within the SCMP stable. You can follow us on Twitter at SCMP Economy. I am at F Birmingham. That's Birmingham with the B-E-R, not like the city. We'll be back same place next week. Wash your hands, keep your distance, wear your mask and take care. For more podcasts from the South China Morning Post, head to scmp.com where you can hear more about technology, trade, culture, and society.